getting ball surgery so we could have kids, 100% true. Netflix pulling my episode on Saudi and Saudi, 100% true. Getting rejected from prom because of my race, 1000% true. If the reporter were genuinely curious about the idea of truth in stand-up, they would have had to report that the majority of my stories are true. But their article led with the opposite. For anyone who doesn't know, Hassan Minaj, uh, the host of The Patriot Act, until The Patriot Act was taken down from Netflix. Uh, that wasn't specifically uh, about that uh, one episode, although he did have an episode uh, censored in Saudi Arabia on Netflix, in which he was very critical of their government, which is kind of scary in terms of, hey, big tech censorship. But, you know, that's uh, big tech censorship for you. Uh, he was apparently next in line to be the host of The Daily Show, which I was exceptionally excited for, because I'm a huge fan of how and, and I, I was like, this is uh, this is really awesome. I think he would be the best possible host for that show. It'll make me watch it again. I've watched both of his stand-up specials. I watched one of them, The Court's Jester, live. Got to see him perform it. Uh, thought it was absolutely hilarious. And then a bombshell article came out that shows that he has been exaggerating his sets. Now, why is that important? Because that's what comedians do. You know, I, I count myself amongst them. Not stand-up comedians, but, you know, people in comedy. Uh, of course, you, you could embellish a story for... Uh, you know, uh, a punchline or something like that. In this case, it turns out that entire elements of the stories were completely made up, including some related to a lot of the post-9-11 racism that he'd experienced and a actual, what you could consider, uh, you know, uh, attack on one of his daughters by someone sending uh, what they believed to be a white powder substance, uh, not sure what it was, uh, in the mail uh, to one of his kids, which is horrifying, and it's a obviously just, you know, uh, there's complete silence and a stadium kind of moment of his live stand-up performances, as well as some of the individuals in his stand-up specials who he shows on, you know, screens. It's very, uh, it's an audio-visual experience um, coming forth and saying, that never happened, or I wish I wasn't in there because that's not what actually is accurate. Uh, and that is where it's really crossing into some dangerous territory, obviously, if you are putting pictures of people, real people, who you did know in your life, and you're telling stories related to them. Some of the stories involve FBI informants, potentially, post-9-11, you know, uh, xenophobia, Islamophobia, racism, stuff like that. Then it starts to get into, yeah, kind of yikesy territory. So that was the story as of, uh, you know, the last time we've heard from it. This is the first time uh, that there's now a video specials and found some factual inaccuracies that they wanted to ask me about. So I sat down with them to explain my writing process and why I make certain creative choices in my stand-up. Now, when the article came out, it got picked up by almost every single news outlet, all of them basically saying the same thing. Critics are raising questions about Hassan Minaj and whether he and other uh, comedians should be more truthful with their materials. One of Mr. Minaj's stories is about a white girl he asked to the prom who spurned him on the big day when her parents didn't want pictures taken with a brown boy, except it never happened. Now with everything that's happening in the world, I am aware even talking about this now feels so trivial, but being accused of faking racism is not trivial. It is very serious and it demands an explanation. So to everyone who read that article, I wanna answer the biggest question that's probably on your mind. Is Hassan Minhaj secretly a psycho? Underneath all that pomade, is Hassan Minhaj just a con artist 
who uses fake racism and Islamophobia to advance his career? Because after reading that article, I would also think that. So I took a beat before responding. Because like you, I've been paralyzed by the news coming out of the Middle East. And I've been processing all the criticism that has come my way. And I just want to say, to anyone who felt betrayed or hurt by my stand-up, I am sorry. I made artistic choices to express myself and drive home larger issues affecting me and my community, and I feel horrible that I let people down. And the reason I feel horrible is because I'm not a psycho. But this New Yorker article definitely makes me look like one. It was so needlessly misleading. Not just a- This is odd. Yeah, it's, it's odd so far. I'm gonna let it play out though. I am curious. Let's see what uh, let's see what the receipts are brought to the table. That I made it all up, and that my race wasn't a factor in my rejection, but it was, and I have the evidence to prove it. So in Homecoming King, I told a story about how I was supposed to go to prom with a white girl named Bethany Reed. Her real name is not Bethany. I changed it to protect her anonymity. I say that I show up at Bethany's house on prom night, but at the doorstep, her mom tells me they don't want her to go to prom with me because they'll be taking a lot of pictures and they don't want their family back home to see her with a brown boy. Bethany's mom did really say that. It was just a few days before prom. And I created the doorstep scene to drop the audience into the feeling of that moment, which I told the reporter. Is the doorstep moment true? Did that happen? No, 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 it happened before. But the emotional truth remains the same. Her mom going, hey, sweetie, we like we take photos and we don't want people to see. We have family back home. Did, did she sort of give that as the reason of like my parents aren't comfortable with yes. going? To, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was it just yeah. destroyed me. Yeah, sure. That's understandable. The reporter said it's understandable. But none of what I explicitly said makes it in the article. This is what they wrote instead. She told me that she turned down Minhaj, who was then a close friend in person days before the dance. Minhaj acknowledged that this was correct, but he said that the two of them had long carried different understandings of her rejection. This whole paragraph makes it sound like I got friend-zoned by Bethany, and then I turned into an angry incel and then faked racism to get back at her. And I think this sentence is the reason why people believe that. He said that the two of them had long carried different understandings of her rejection. This sentence is incredibly misleading and implies the exact opposite of what I meant. Let me explain. Okay. Over a decade after prom, in August of 2014, Bethany and I met at a restaurant called Sarah Betts in New York, and we cleared the air on what her mom said to me at prom. Now, I talk about this in Homecoming King, and I also told The New Yorker about this meetup. She had an understanding that we were, like, totally cool. And, like, I had been carrying something completely different. And I just told her what it meant. Like, it's like, do you understand what it's like being, a, like, a skinny Muslim Desi Brown kid in Davis, California? And you know, we're always told to put our head down and just take it. And I did. Mm -hmm. And I carried this water mm -hmm. for like years and years. When the article says we had different understandings, what I clearly meant was that Bethany never knew how much her family being racist had affected me. That's why we had different understandings. Not because Bethany denied this happened. In fact, Bethany basically confirmed in writing that racism was a factor in the prom rejection. In 2015, I sent Bethany an email congratulating her on her wedding to a man of color, saying, I know I told you about sharing the story about us not being able to go to prom together with kids and communities to talk about forgiveness and perseverance, but this ending 
you guys getting married is proof that love conquers all. It's a testament to the way the world truly can be. Wishing you guys the absolute best, and here's to a life filled with gorgeous Zayn Malik mixed-race babies. Yep, I'm aware. I write emails the way Lin-Manuel Miranda talks. I'm not proud of it, but let's stay focused. I would, I would have done this without jokes at all, just to be totally honest, just considering how serious the content is. And plus, a lot of people who are fans of you who normally would be the people who giggle at a lot of your jokes might really want to hear this. But um, that is pretty interesting. That's some, uh, that's some pretty important receipts for this story. And while it might always be challenging, true love is worth the fight. We also had the unique opportunity to showcase both our cultures at the wedding, with a ceremony for each. I think my parents have come a long way too. And what would her parents have to come a long way from? Racism. Again, I don't care about prom. I mean that. And Bethany didn't do anything wrong. And I wish her and her family nothing but the best. Her parents have grown. My parents have grown. That's the point of the whole show. And that should be celebrated. Love conquers all. But I do not appreciate the New Yorker implying that I made up racism. My team and I repeatedly try to give them the emails that you just saw. As early as, you know, I, I believe fall 2014. I have these a few. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. we have email correspondence in 2017, which we can give you. Okay. Then I now shift to email correspondence, which she can give you. I have it, I can yeah. send yeah. it Yeah. So there's all, and happy to give you all these emails. Sure. Not only that, we confirmed the emails were sent to the reporter and their fact checker before the article came out. Therefore, they knew my rejection was due to race, I confirmed it on the record and provided corroborating evidence. And yet, they misled readers by excluding all of that and splicing two different quotes together to leave you thinking that I made up a racist incident. Now, the article also implies that I humiliated Bethany and got her doxxed with my carelessness. So I want to show you evidence that shows that that isn't true. Back in November of 2015, when Homecoming King was running off Broadway, Bethany came to the show, and this is how The New Yorker reported it. The woman said that Minhaj had invited her and her husband to an off-Broadway performance. She'd initially interpreted the invitation as an attempt to rekindle an old friendship, but she now believes the move was meant to humiliate her. I promise it was never my intention. <laughs> so The New Yorker is garbage. Typical leftist infighting. I mean, so far this looks pretty bad on the reporter for this section. Uh, I will say, because that is pretty clearly someone referencing, yes, uh, an event that happened in the past, one in which her parents have grown from, uh, and he specifically told the New Yorker prior to, sorry, in the interview without hiding it, that yes, so these events are slightly out of order, obviously. Like like I said from the start, I've got absolutely no problem with stand-up comedians embellishing stories that they tell because that's what comedians do. And like in the in, in the midst of that, what I have a, a problem with is where real people get involved in stories that are like, you know, and that article did state are 100% kind of like falsifiable. Like, you know, he was never, his daughter was never sent to anthrax. The FBI informant isn't true. I know we haven't gotten to that stuff yet, but like that, that, and when you involve real people, sometimes even putting their pictures on the screen, then yeah, that get, could seriously affect their lives who are not a part of this or the, the empire that you built or the, the live tours or all the money from the specials or the Netflix money. Like I, they, they aren't a part of any of that, right? That's where I'm like, it, it becomes unethical. Full transparency. I also just got to say, it's weird getting like a YouTube style, like here's my receipts video on like figures this huge 
Because it is still kind of like those videos you see all the time, right? Like, I know I've been accused of some very serious things, some of which I would like to directly apologize for right now. And for any fans that I've let down, for that I'm sorry. But now, I do have to show all of you that in fact I know how to play a ukulele, right? And and I, I've learned some chords and I've got a whole song ready. You're gonna love this. It's gonna explain every detail. Like, I'm, And by the way, this is obviously not that. He's got receipts. He's not just like, y'all are pissed at me. Well, uh, that's because you're part of cancel culture. Woo woo. You know, like that's that's this is a very different style video for that. And I do sincerely appreciate it. Even in the Netflix special, I don't use any real photos of Bethany or her family. Those are actors and their faces are blurred. Maintaining Bethany's anonymity has always been a priority for me. I would never want her to get doxxed or harassed. And if there were any negative consequences that came your way, Bethany, I am sorry about that. I am not perfect, but I promise I am not needlessly cruel even though that's what the New Yorker wants you to believe, despite the evidence. I was an open book. I sat down in good faith. They had my testimony and four years of correspondence backed up with receipts all on the record that showed my race was a factor in my prom rejection. I wasn't careless with Bethany's privacy. And she thanked me for keeping her family's identity safe. So how could the New Yorker imply the opposite? But here's the bigger question. Why did the New Yorker fact check my stand-up special, but not properly fact check their own article? If you're still here, I have two more stories that I want to address. Now, in my second special, The King's Jester, I tell a story about how I met and was harassed by an FBI informant named Brother Eric. I talk about how he tried to entrap me at a gym, and when I made fun of him, he slammed me against the hood of a cop car. The truth is, I did have altercations with undercover law enforcement growing up, and that experience formed the basis of this story, but it didn't go down exactly like this. So I understand why people are upset. People face real danger at the hands of the police and false stories can undermine real stories. And I am sorry I added to that problem. My intention wasn't to take away from these stories. It was to spotlight them through my special. That's why I used this story to talk about Hamid Hayat. Hamid and I were part of the same NorCal Muslim community. When he got entrapped, it rocked our community, and he spent 14 years in prison. We were the same age, same background, and like him, I also had run-ins with undercover agents. I was even physically harassed by them while playing basketball. Now, you're probably wondering, why not just say that? So this is not an excuse. It is an explanation of my process. When I am storytelling, every beat has to do multiple things in a funny and impactful way. With the story, I had to set up three plot points. The moment I realized authority figures hate being made fun of, why I named my show Patriot Act, and spotlight the story of Hamid Hayat. The problem is 99% of people watching Netflix have no idea the FBI spied on Muslims at mosques, or they don't even believe it was real. And There's like These are the two far more serious allegations uh, in terms of like... You know, it directly involved a, a real life person, uh, you know, and the anthrax one, obviously, like, I am I mean, I have to, I have to wait and see what he's, what he's bringing to the table with those. But so far, yeah, I would agree with that. My mosque in my hometown, it was infiltrated. And the footage that I used in the special proves that it was very real and very stupid. I wanted to recreate that feeling that only Muslims felt for a broad audience, the feeling of paranoia and vindication, tension, and release. That is why people laugh at this part. You don't get the release without the tension. That was my artistic intent, which I told the New Yorker. 
If you notice something about, even in the show, we pop out of it. And this is actually the point I was trying to make. Uh, my dad goes, that's not Brother Eric. His, na his, na his name is not Eric. His name is Craig. And the, 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 the moment that the, the reaction the audience is having is, nudge me, you're missing the point. The point is, is that it's, it doesn't matter if his name was Eric, Craig, or Adam. The point is, is that there is now a pattern here at large. Sure. And that, that was the thing that I was trying to do. And ultimately, the emotional truth of trying to point a spotlight on my community story and, and Hamid's story is important to me. Hamid? <laughs> I gotta be honest. That's a wild thing for a New York reporter to have heard, taken in, and you'd be like, oh, I gotta spit on this one. <laughs> So that specific story, the guy had a different name. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I, I told you that. I, I told you the important part of that story is that that person is real, that I did know that person, that that person went to the same mosque as me, in, in addition to the fact that this was something that the police were doing and racially profiling people all the time. But, like, the name. <laughs> the name changed. <laughs> I gotta be honest, uh, New Yorker, this one's not looking good. Said that he had nothing but love for me and that I hadn't diminished his story. Uh, the text say, Asalaamu Alaikum, my brother. I just want to let you know you have my full support. Don't let the critics bother you. They have nothing else to do but to hate you. you always spoken openly about everyone and have spoken the truth. Uh, I appreciate you, bro. Much love to you. Like I said on the phone, I was just trying to shed light on your story because we're from the same community. If I let you down or diminished you, I am truly sorry. So this is from the actual person from the story. Wow. Okay. Absolutely not, my brother. You haven't uh, down or diminished about my story. Nothing but love and respect for you. May Allah bless you and your family on this plus day of the week Friday. That's what I was trying to do. But the reporter was far more concerned about the FBI informant I talked about in the special, which honestly felt very weird. In the story about the informant, Actually, the bulk of the story is about Craig Monty. Like sure. you, and so, did sure. you reach out to Craig Monty? No. Do you feel like you owe him anything? I've heard some things, and I'd rather not speak on that. So you feel like you don't owe him? You didn't owe him like a heads up. As a Muslim, am I supposed to apologize to an ex-con who tried to entrap Muslims for the FBI? Yeah, maybe if he gave us a heads up, I would owe him a heads up. Now, the last story I want to talk about is the anthrax care. My last special, I talk about how I received a letter in the mail, and when I opened the letter, white powder fell on my daughter, and we had to take her to the hospital only to find out it was not real anthrax. This, as you know, is not how it went down. And let me just say, I am sorry for embellishing the story, or if anyone was worrying about me and my family, I apologize. Let me make something clear. A letter with white powder was sent to my apartment in February of 2019. I opened it in the kitchen, powder fell on the table, and my daughter was just a few feet away. After 10 seconds of freaking out, I realized it was not anthrax and that someone was fucking with me because people had been fucking with me since January 1st, 2019, after this happened. Well, Netflix under fire today after its decision to pull an episode of a comedy show that was critical of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The truth is, when this news broke, my life got very scary. Saudi bots were spamming my socials. A threatening letter was sent to Netflix. The theory on a being a hit piece is because he was widely thought to be the replacement for Trevor Noah. Well, and I'd seen a lot of stuff circulating about that, that he was like apparently the next person who a lot of people were saying was going to be the next in line, right? Like it, it made a lot of sense. And, and I was super excited for that. I was like, oh, amazing. Uh, I don't like there's obviously absolutely no evidence that like the two are uh, directly correlated. 
uh, if there, there's like you know a purpose uh, behind it, you know that's that's all. Unfortunately, the realm for this uh, show. If you wanna, if you wanna catch it, you know I'm doing it on Tuesdays. Every Tuesdays, you can you can check out me and Alex. Just, just you know, talking about the world. It's neat. It's a lot easier. It's a very freeing show for me. It helps me. It's cathartic. I get to say whatever I'm thinking of. Like anything that comes to my brain, I just get to say it. And then I get to say it out loud. And then it's just accepted as fact. And it doesn't matter what I think of. I can think of anything. And then he just nods. And then he's like, yeah, yeah. And, and then everyone has to believe it. Like it's true. Yeah, it's easy. It's a lot easier than the rest of the shit I do. I, I, I don't have to, you know, correct myself. I don't have to bring up stats or facts or anything. I don't have to accept it when someone's like, oh, I'm sorry, you were just factually incorrect here, Lance. Here's a link to the story demonstrating why you're wrong. I don't have to do any of that. Nah, nah. If anything, I am the facts. I, I, I am pure facts. More fact than man. It's a great show. And people noticed. Friends were texting me about seeing me rolling everywhere through New York with security. And at I heard you had security with you. It's not because of the Saudi thing, is it? Yeah, the streets are talking. Comedy streets. Some Looney Tunes on the internet, but it's all good. Uh, inshallah, get a burner, phone. Uh, smart, I gotta do that. I was hoping peeps wouldn't notice. One point, my wife even asked our security detail if he knew any companies that sold those tiny GPS trackers for strollers because we were concerned. Hey, I'm thinking about buying a little GPS tracking device for my stroller. Do you have any recommendations? I don't, but I can ask my boss. I'll look into it for you. The company is called Tile. It's got a good product line. Here they are concerned that someone might try to kidnap or hurt our daughter. That is all real. The danger at that time was palpable, but Bina and I decided to keep the anthrax scare private because we were worried that Netflix might shut down my show, which would have put my entire staff out of work. Now you might be wondering, this is all terrifying, so why embellish? Why even say you took your daughter to the hospital the night of the anthrax scare? Bina and I, we got into a huge argument and she kept asking, Hassan, what if this powder fell on our daughter? So I created the hospital scene to put the audience in that same shock and fear that me and Bina felt playing out that night. Then I added the investigator character because women in my life were telling me that Bina was coming off super naggy in old versions of the story. So I gave some of Bina's lines to other characters so that her perspective was represented in a way that didn't reflect poorly on her. Again, I am sorry if I crossed a line here, but I told this story this way to put the audience on the roller coaster ride that we were both experiencing at that time. I mean, that just pretty lines up with what comedians do. If I'm being honest, like that's my my initial take on this story the first time I heard it. Coming from someone biased, by the way, because I am a huge fan, but as a biased huge fan, when I first heard the story, I was kind of just like, whoa, uh, yeah, that's what comedians do, isn't it? Like, don't, don't comedians embellish stories to be able to make them entertaining for their audiences? You know, some of them can have a sliver of truth, some of them can be true stories that happen, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, then ended up reading the article. Then when I was speaking on the leftist mafia, uh, I remember we had Zed on as a guest star and, and, you know, Zed was pretty into the story as well. And we were talking about it and he was one of the person who pointed out some things that like at the time I was like, that is actually true. I, I think you might be crossing a line without question 
if all of a sudden you are involving photos of people who happen to be real people or stories about people who happen to be real people when it's demonstrably false that didn't happen or if you are completely fabricating a story about getting you know anthrax sent to your daughter or if the uh you know the the fbi uh informant uh who was a part of your mosque wasn't true but now having seen a lot of this it turns out like each of these does have elements of truth based in reality such as he was sent a unknown white powder from someone most likely just fucking with him that was a very big thing people sending you know uh, celebrities that they want to do death threats to uh, you know envelopes full of uh, flour uh, and then ho- uh, hoping people will think it's anthrax or something like that to scare the fuck out of them which is yeah death threats um, that is uh, you know something that he's saying directly did happen to him uh, it didn't happen in the way the story is told in the same way the very first story isn't happening in the way the story is told but they are based on truths that actually did occur then it kind of reverts back to a comedian doing what a comedian does and if a comedian's doing what a comedian's doing and all of a sudden is getting crucified for it and you know it's then then it's pretty fucked up patience built into my work my work as a storytelling comedian and my work as a political comedian, where facts always come first. That is why the fact-checking on Patriot Act was extremely rigorous. The fact-check... <laughs> Pixie Phoenix, no shit. <laughs> so does the media seriously think that everything coming out of a comedian's mouth is true? And if they hold comedians to this standard, why not the government? Hmm. Yeah, interesting, because we're hearing a lot of wild stories coming out of the government of the good old U.S. of A. right now. Didn't Joe Biden to say today that he believes some of the numbers coming out of Gaza may be exaggerated? And then, like, reporters for both the Huffington Post uh, have said that these numbers are directly uh, collaborated from the Palestinian Health Authority. Uh, there are leisures uh, of all this. The, 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 this is not uh, an exaggeration. The, these are the numbers that are known uh, to have been people killed so far. This doesn't count the thousands who are considered still alive but under rubble as we speak many of whom do not have people trying to dig them up because there's just no resources or those areas are too dangerous to go to that's just like a really wild wild horrifying thing to to say let alone think you know especially when you're being told of like untold devastation yeah not not to mention the story of the 40 beheaded babies uh the white house had to walk that story back as well and, and it was just said as a matter of fact and then i noticed after it was said as a matter of fact it started popping up in community notes. People started referencing that, like this was actually confirmed by the president of the United States. And then I was like, well, yeah, I confirmed in that he said it out loud. The White House walked that comment back. That's, uh, all right. It was 2.30 a.m., canceled. <laughs> Where's this limousine driver? You know, I stopped feeling bad. <laughs> never Time goes by, I started feeling worse. Like, man, what is wrong with me? What the hell's wrong? I'm scared of a baby. <laughs> and this baby could be in trouble. He might need my help. I got to do something. But I wasn't going to get out the car. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I just cracked the window a little bit. There's a whole limousine. I can roll it down. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> baby, go home, man. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. What the fuck are you doing up? The baby said, I'm selling weed, nigga. I said, oh, shit. So again, I ask you, is every part of that story true? Was, was there a baby late at night? Maybe. That, that's entirely plausible. Again, was he in a limo going through a part of town? Maybe. Entirely plausible. Could have been happening. Did that line 
come out of the baby's mouth when he asked them what was going on? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone will know. Is it a hilarious fucking routine and bit? Oh, amongst, like, you know, the greatest of all time. This is one of my favorite stand-up specials ever. Like I said, Chappelle used to be, well, yeah, I mean, he's, he, I can't change what I was inspired by when I was a kid, but he was one of my biggest inspirations. I was like, that guy is just so fucking funny. Um, but again, there's there's purpose behind this joke. There's there's reasons for it, you know, and, and you might have heard this joke at first and you think, well, this is just pu- punching down, right? Uh, obviously, he's, he's making fun of, like, you know, the disproportionate amounts of crime uh, that exist in impoverished neighborhoods that are predominantly black, you know? I'm not, I should be doing my whitest voice ever when I'm saying this. But it's like, well, it's also bringing attention to a lot of other issues, right? And and, it, and it's using this framing and the way he does it. That's a, It's one of the most brilliant parts of this is you are just taking along, like, he was taken literally for a ride and you're taking figuratively for a ride on the story. You buy into it as, as he sets you up and as you go down in that journey it becomes increasingly fucking hilarious that he's telling the story but it could be a story and i'm gonna be honest that a lot of white people may not know about you know um, a lot of white people may not have experienced seeing children out late at night uh, in impoverished communities or impoverished areas i know a lot of indigenous people and a lot of black people who may have different stories related to that and, and be like well parts of that actually you know the, that's not the, the most unusual thing like well actually i i don't believe any of that ever happened okay i've I, i've never seen it myself so dave Chappelle uh, lied about the baby story and uh, we should uh, cancel Chappelle for that and, and it's like well there are differences. Parts of his stories, if you haven't watched, you know, Hassan's special, uh, like, they, they are about very important topics, very serious topics that I'm sure occurred. And I know this firsthand from having best friends who, you know, uh, you know, are sick uh, or uh, Hindu. And after 9-11, the xenophobia and the racism was turned up to 10,000. And you didn't even need to have close friends to, to, to know that. Like, the stickers are still up on so many people's businesses and cabs and shit like that that are just hyper patriotic. Just just like American flags. I love America. God bless this country. You know, I, I, I would die for the eagle and the flag and stuff like that. Uh, and the hyper Americana like, you know, shit that was all over stores and stuff, a lot of that was in part because there was such a hyper-racist and xenophobic backlash against people who were perceived as terrorists post-9-11. Because, you know, all of a sudden it was like, well, just all people who have brown skin happen to be terrorists. That's that's it. So, yeah, it, it is important that it's in a special and, and that, you know, uh, Hassan talks about it and, and brings it up. What was really worrying to so many people were, were all was all of this made up. Like, not, not just the setup, not just the, the plausibility, not just the, like, you know, you setting up yourself for a joke here, but all of it, all of it. Like, if nothing happened to you, then it's weird because I'm sure a lot of racism probably did happen to you at that time to just fabricate all of this from, from you getting anthrax in the mail uh, that your daughter, uh, that it almost fell on your daughter or fell in front of your daughter or something like that, uh, to you having someone who was in your prayer circles who was also an FBI informant, uh, you know, to you putting up the, this photo uh, of someone uh, and the racism never happened to you when you were younger uh, in terms of the prom photos, stuff like that. Like, if none of this happened, then this is just 100% out of nowhere uh, and real life people are implicated in your jokes uh then yeah there, there, there could be something wrong here but it, this looks a lot more like a new yorker article took the things he was being transparent about like being open about you know being like yeah so i've i've changed the name specifically to not you know directly implicate these people whose privacy i'm trying to respect while also telling my story my truth right i'm, I'm telling you my story but like i i'm gonna move some things around 
you know, the events to set up a punchline, the, the correlation. I'm going to change people's names, especially this person who did spend time in prison. Uh, but he's got receipts uh, on all of these so far. In that, Well, yes, this, this person is real and we've messaged each other since. And this is, you know, his communication with me. She's also real. She's pointed out that her parents have grown a lot since that incident, acknowledging that it happened. Uh, that one is true. And yes, also in terms of the anthrax, uh, I changed the fact that, yes, it, it was not spilling directly in front of my daughter. But someone did mail me an envelope of white powder because a lot of people were sending me death threats and other forms of threatening uh, material back then. And yes, it was opened up uh, and I opened up very close to my daughter being in the room that, that that's all real. Right. I mean, that's that's going, I think, a lot further than a lot of comedians have to do. <laughs> There's normally not just like, OK, OK, I heard the setup and the, the, the whole thing, you know, that's uh, great. But like you need to explain which parts of these were 100 percent factually accurate. So so were you actually in a limo? Or was it a taxi? Did, did, did the taxi driver actually get a phone call and take you to a different part of town? When you got to that part of town, was there actually a drug dealer who was the age of a baby? And, and when you rolled the window down, did that drug dealer actually, uh, you know, say that they were trying to sell, what did you say it was, marijuana at that time of night? Is, is that factually accurate? Or do you have a lot of stories like that, uh, of being in areas like that, where things like that, not literally that, but things like that happen, you want to bring attention to the extreme poverty that sometimes can exist in those parts of the world and within your own country, right? And, and, and talk about that in a hilarious fucking way so people laugh, they talk about it, they, they have dinner conversations, but what lies behind the jokes? What's, what's behind there? Getting ball surgery so we could have kids, 100% true. Netflix pulling my episode on Saudi and Saudi, 100% true. Getting rejected from prom because of my race, 1,000% true. If the reporter were genuinely curious about the idea of truth in stand-up, they would have had to report that the majority of my stories are true. But their article led with the opposite, saying much of my stand-up never happened to me. That is false. Nearly all of it happened to me. Some of it didn't. Even the last line of the article is stripped of the context to leave you with the impression that I'm some sort of unrepentant liar. He told me the emotional truth is first. The factual truth is secondary. We tried really hard to have them put in the full quote with full context, but they refused. So let me leave you with the full context. When people see a Hassan Minhaj show, there's two different expectations. Mm -hmm. There's the Hassan Minhaj you see maybe here at the Comedy Cellar, where there is an implicit agreement between the audience, like we're going down into a basement, like we're about to see a one-hour comedy show that feels like there is an emotional roller coaster ride. Sure. Then there's Hassan Minhaj, the guy you've seen on The Daily Show as a correspondent, or the guy from Patriot Act on Netflix, mm -hmm. which is, I am not the primary character, the news story is the primary character. With the latter, the truth comes first. Comedy sometimes comes second to make the infotainment the sugar on the medicine. Mm -hmm. In this, the emotional truth is first. The factual truth is secondary. In political comedy, facts come first. In comedic storytelling, emotions come first. That is what I said, and that is what I meant. Going forward, will I be more thoughtful about sticking to the facts in my storytelling? Absolutely. 
I have no I, problem. I like I I'm kind of pissed off you even have to go that far to be honest. Like sure, if you were doing this video, okay, let's just uh, take a step back here. Uh yeah, I wouldn't have started it the way he did. I wouldn't have tried to do this as kind of like an intro to one of his segments because like at the, you got to keep in mind, most people are, are not only curious but also kind of pissed off or perhaps they feel betrayed or something like that. So they're not going to look or want kind of, you know, little jokes and bits at the start here. They're just like, all right, say your piece. Let's hear it. Let's let's see what you got. Let's see the receipts. Let's see what you got on the table. By the time you get to the end of this, ah, it's pretty fucking conclusive. The New Yorker, like, profoundly, not only fucked up, I would say this is almost with the level of maliciousness, right? Where your intent was to manipulate someone being honest and candid about their craft, their story, their their very personal life details, and also talking about how they use comedy as a tool and, and how, you know, th this is an important uh, form of art to them and then this is the purpose behind the story. So, yeah, it, it would be really fucked up if, like, you never received an envelope whatever and then you were just lying that, like, that happened and, you know, that's a fucked up story to say especially in relation to your daughter, but telling it the way he did, I don't, like, he's, that's a fucking, this is stand-up, what the hell? Are, are we honestly at that point now where every stand-up comedian, and by the way, this is the only person who's been held this level uh, to account for this shit, but every stand-up comedian has to provide documentation that elements, elements of their stand-up routines are based in fact, that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, what, what kind of a world... You know, <laughs> how, how are you going to be getting through any of these routines? <laughs> like actually absorbing the, the kind of things they want to talk to you about. The performer and as a person. Look, the guy in this article... And by the way, you can do multiple crafts and you can do them well, all right? There's some people who, I'm sorry, they just, they have way too much talent. Like, Donald Glover, what the fuck? I just, yeah, how does, how does one person do stand-up and it's really, really good, but also do writing and it's really, really good, but also do acting and it's really, really good, and also do music? Music? You are actually an incredibly talented musician, but not in just one field either. It would be just fucking mind-blowing if he was a good singer. She's a really good MC. What the fuck? It makes Makes no sense. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I I am in just sheer awe of that human. Um. But yeah. So someone like you know Hassan, who the Patriot Act. It was a great show. It was a really good show. Brought a lot of attention to a lot of really important and hard issues to talk about. It's really good to have someone like him who's going to say, Hey, by the way, we've got the show. We're going to be doing it. Uh. And I'm going to talk about a lot of factual, real things with jokes, punchlines. But I'm going back and forth. And this is more considered to be factual reporting. You know, I'm not he's not calling himself a journalist. He's still an entertainer. He's still a comedian. But he is doing edutainment. He's he's basically giving you information that he is trying to verify through a system and that's what this is this is different by the way than my stand-up specials my stand-up specials are a lot more personal where i'm going to tell you about stories and stuff and a lot of it is pov and i tell you my story growing up or i tell you stories of things that have happened to me or stuff related to that and then yeah parts of those stories are going to be changed or manipulated because it's a comedy special and you probably don't want me sitting there and being like, and then in eighth grade, uh, I was in this uh, this teacher's class, Mrs. Krabappel, and she uh, she graded this paper. Uh, this paper, I got 67%. Uh, I have the proof. Um, here's my paper. Uh, it got 67. I also did a math test, and I got 74%. Here's the math test, 74%. It's proof. I've got the documentation. Here you are. That's true. This happened to me. It's 100% factual, as you can see. Uh, if anyone wants to verify this, you know, you, you, I will keep these documents. I'll put a copy of them online, just so everyone has it. Like, what the fuck, you know? Do you enjoy the surfs, but prefer not to have to use your eyeballs? Many are saying this. 
Well, we've got the solution for you. It's the Surf Times in podcast form, available on most major podcasting networks now. If you enjoy it, please consider leaving a good review and feedback because it really helps the show out, apparently, and it's free, just like the podcast. Thank you so much for watching, everybody. This show is produced by amazing people like you. And if you want to help us out, please consider donating over at patreon.com slash the surfs. The show is made possible thanks to Amazing Fletch, Anna Loves Riley, Ariane McCarthy, Cheryl Alvarez, Doug Cady, Everything Important, Hagbard Celine, Lamedia Panza, Matthew Scarborough, Multimondi, Omni, Peanut Butter Blondie, Political Papi, Quiet 185, Rachel K, Riley and Anna, Roller Dragon, Ruby K, Sir Nickus, Spinach Monster, Stellar Vision, Sebastian Demo, Tech Tink, Trevbot EXE, Words Greenwood, and not to mention all of the amazing and fabulous people you now see before you.